Last week we began a journey together through the book of 1 Peter. And we began our journey by looking at the writer of 1 Peter, knowing that he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the words that he has written. But it's important for us to kind of start off before we really delve into this book to know more about the man. And so last week we wanted to know more about Peter so we can understand his, his mindset, understand the worldview in which he's communicating to us. And it was quite encouraging because this great man of faith, this disciple of Jesus Christ, this one who uh, received such highs, also had such lows and such character flaws. And, and really, we are encouraged that God uses broken vessels like Peter. He uses broken vessels like us to do amazing stuff for His glory. If you weren't here last week, I know several of you were out of town at a retreat or whatever. Uh, that sermon's up on the web. You can get it there or maybe in the foyer. Let me encourage you to do so. But this week, we look not at Peter and who he is. We look at Peter's target audience. We look at the ones to whom Peter is writing, um, and we're trying to find out and discover what does he think about them? How does he uh, characterize them? Who is he writing to? And and again, uh, we can hear Peter's voice today, and, and by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, we realize that Peter, although he was penning this letter to specific recipients in certain area, area of modern Turkey, God speaks to us today. And really, as Peter is looking at them and he's calling his recipients, his target audience, in certain terms, God calls us these terms today as well. And Jim Collins, uh, a great writer from the business world, wrote a book called Good to Great, uh, Probably several of you have read that book. I have as well. By the way, he's got a a monograph out, a one-chapter addition to that for the social sector, for the uh, folks like us in the church world. But Jim Collins, as he's wrestling with organizations that became great, organizations that did so much better than any other organization, he has an interesting chapter where he says, first who, first you must determine who, and then you look to the what. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, do you have the right people on your team? Do you have the right people, as he says, on the bus? The first thing that any great organization will determine is the who. And many try to determine the what. You know, what are we to do to become great and then go look for the who? But but Colin says, no, those who are great first start with the who, and then they look to the what. Well, God is calling us to greatness. Greatness to glorify him. Greatness in his name. And Peter is going to first tell us the who. He's going to tell us who God has called on the bus or into his family. And then as we understand fully who we are in Christ, who we are in God's eyes, then the what becomes a little bit clearer to see and a little bit easier to follow. Peter is going to call us many things. One of the things I love about this epistle, Peter's going to call us uh, things like living stones. Peter is going to call us a, a chosen people. He's going to call us a royal priesthood. He's going to say that we are a people belonging to God. But today we're going to focus on two things in which Peter says that we are. The first is aliens. And the next is chosen. And these, one, these two verses of 1 Peter, we're going to be called both aliens and chosen. Last night, it was the second annual time that I went to the monster truck rally at the sold-out, clapping, the sold-out Citrus Bowl. And believe me, there were quite a few aliens down there. 
I think I fit right in. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. And also, if you can flip to Acts chapter 2, we're going to quickly uh, leap there and, and show a connection between Acts 2 and 1 Peter 2. But mindful that we're reading God's very word. Peter in one one, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, I don't think that's Bithlow, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Well, it's interesting. If you turn to the book of Acts, uh, right after the four Gospels, the book of Acts, uh, we're going to tune in to Peter's first sermon. Peter's first sermon at Pentecost as the church is about ready to explode and go from just a few ragtag disciples to thousands into the church uh, that, try, that, that is advancing even today. In Acts chapter 2, the famous uh, sermon where the Holy Spirit falls, um, it says in 2.5, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devote men from every nation under heaven. And so Peter was preaching the first sermon, and there were those in every nation there. Look at verse 9, and you'll see Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia. And this is how God works. God gathers to scatter. scatter. And now, really modern day Turkey, you're going to see these areas in which Peter is writing, uh, downward Judah and Jerusalem. But the church is moving forth. The church is expanding. Let's pray together and ask God's blessing on the preaching of his word. Now, Father God, it's, just, it's, uh, it's amazing that we can come and we can hear from you and we can hear from Peter. And Father, that we are given the answer to who we are through Your Word. And so Father, we need to know who we are. We need to understand whose we are. It's really important because we'll never get the what until we understand the who. Who You are and who we are in Your likeness. Who we are in Christ. So Father, I pray that You would come through the power of Your Spirit and fill this room with your presence, that God, you'd be pleased to speak through a broken vessel, a sinner that desperately needs Jesus. And that God, you'd open up our ears to hear not just Peter's voice, not my voice, but your voice. And that Father, you'd open our minds to understand who we are and who we are in Christ and what you're calling us to do. And Father, that you'd open up our hearts to embrace this as truth. There's some tough stuff here today. So, Father, I pray that you would penetrate hard, cold hearts for your glory. I can't do that. You can. And, Father, that you would empower our feet, that we would walk in light of this truth. Father, the things that are said today that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel and your Son, Jesus Christ, would you use those things to make us more like our Savior, your Son? The things that I say that are wrong or that are merely my opinion, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. Father, we pray that you and you alone receive glory, and we receive great joy and great encouragement and challenge. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The first thing Peter is going to call us, kind of interesting out of the chute, uh, he's going to call us aliens. 
And the word that Peter uses, he could have chosen a few different words in the Greek, but this word that he chooses really is emphasizing aliens who are passing through. I mean, sojourners. These would be the people who come to town. They don't have an abode there. They're not going to try to make a domicile there. They're not going to try to make a house there. They're those who are coming and maybe uh, trans- doing a business transaction, maybe collecting goods or dropping them off, and they're, they're moving on. Uh, this is a term he uses to call us. And he says, you know, you're aliens. You're, you're temporary. You're passing through. Interesting, the area in which Peter is writing, modern-day Turkey, the, the area in which Paul himself would walk through in these missionary journeys of Paul, I had the privilege of going there this last fall to modern-day Turkey. And I tell you, it's a great country. Istanbul, a city of about 15 million, you fly into Istanbul, a very modern airport, uh, very warm people. But the first thing we had to do when we landed in Istanbul, Turkey, is we had to give them 20 American dollars to buy a 30-day visa to buy a little yellow sticker that they would put in your passport that basically proclaimed you don't belong here. That basically proclaimed that you are a sojourner, you are a visitor, you're just traveling, and you're welcome about 30 days. Well, God is looking at us and He is saying you don't belong here. There's a sticker, there's a seal, there's, there's who we are in Christ that is to declare to ourselves and to the world we don't belong. That we're just passing through. That this is not our home. That we are aliens. And the question is why? Why? Why why would Peter start off with such a kind of a a harsh term? He's writing to those he is going to call aliens. Why? Well, first of all, this world is not able to support life. It isn't. I mean, this amazing thing about this world and God's uh, goodness and His grace that, that the earth is just close enough to the sun that we don't get too close and burned up and we're not too far away that we freeze. And it, and it is amazing about the atmosphere and the air that we breathe. But really, the earth is unstable. The earth is unsafe. Life cannot be supported here. Everyone who has ever lived here after the fall, everyone who has ever lived here has died or will die. This world is not able to support life as God has intended life to be enjoyed. I mean, beauty fades. Wisdom fails. Knowledge slips away. We break down. We hurt. We die. Even on our best day, even on our best day when everything seems to be going well, even on our best day where, where our stocks have done well and our, our kids seem to be healthy and our, our marriage seems to be strong and our job seems to be good, even on our best day, there's still pain. We're just a phone call away from disaster. We're just a knock on the door away from realizing this is not a very safe place. It can't support life. You're an alien here. It's unsafe. Do you think Barbara and Terry Mann know how unsafe this place is? I mean, we read the newspaper this week about this tragedy in Lake Butler, Florida. Uh, Five siblings, two nieces killed in a car crash. And when the father of the mother, Barbara, hears the news, he has a heart attack and dies. It's unsafe. I mean, it's, 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 it's not safe for us here at Orangewood. We still have people who have cancer. There's still issues that are affecting us. There's still wars that rage around us. This is an unsafe place. And he's telling us, listen, you're an alien. 
It's not supposed to support life the way life is intended to be. It's unstable. There's hurricanes. There's tsunamis. Reading on the, on the bus yesterday, heading to the Citrus Bowl, there's, there's more volcanoes. It's an unstable environment. This world is not able to support life the way God is intended to. We die. Listen, we die in this environment. And everyone who has ever lived in this environment dies. It's just not able to support life the way God has intended it to be. And Jesus is telling us, listen, there's more. You're an alien. But I got, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Not only that is it, it unable to support life, but this world is not supposed to be home. It's not supposed to be our final destination. It really isn't supposed to be home. We are displaced. And anytime you're displaced, anytime you're away from your earthly home and the comforts of your own couch and the, and the, and the joy of going to your own cupboards and your own TV and your own remote control, anytime you're away from that from an extended period of time, you're unsettled. You just kind of long for home. You want to go back to where it's comfortable. Well, God is reminding us that this whole world is in our home. That this isn't it. This isn't our final destination. God has created us for more than this. He created us for paradise. This is not our home. In 1982, Steven Spielberg's classic movie that came out was, do anybody remember? E.T. Where were you in 82? I was a junior in high school. Now, E.T., an interesting little story. Uh, it was interesting. I read a little bit about that. They said the whole filming of that story was done at knee level. Try to give you perspective from a kid's worldview. Pretty cool. Uh, pretty warm, fuzzy little story. But the basic point of the story was it, that an alien, an extraterrestrial, is unable to really have life abundantly here. And what did he long for? What was the one thing he wanted? Well, he wanted Reese's Pieces. I mean, that's a... And by the way, that should tell us something, that if an extraterrestrial finds one thing to like, it is Reese's Pieces. They are, are they not great? Oh, man, they're good stuff. But uh, what did he want to do? What did he long to do? Phone home. I mean, there came a point where we realized, that, you know, I don't belong. I don't fit. I'm much better looking than everybody else. Well, I, I, I just, I got to go home. There's a longing. Listen, Christian, that's how God has made us. He's made us for himself. He made us for paradise. He made us for a relationship with him. And you know what? We're not home. And therefore we long. We hurt. We say, I'm missing you. I've never seen your face, but I'm missing you. And Paul picks up on this as well. And Paul wants to remind us, listen, this isn't your home. He'll tell us in Philippians 3, verse 20, that our citizenship, our identity, our name, where we belong is in heaven. Where we belong is with the God who made us, from which we also eagerly await a Savior there, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the writer of the Hebrews who, looking at this incredible chapter, chapter 11 of the Hall of Fame, of all those who have gone before us, All those like us, by God's grace, that have put faith in Him and that He would provide a Messiah. But those who died before they realized the Messiah is even coming. He reminds us, he says this, All these died in faith without receiving the promises. And we have received the promise of Christ, but there's still more to come. But having seen them, and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. You see, it's not home. It's not supposed to be home. 
doesn't support life here the way that God intends. He calls us aliens. Why? Because he doesn't want us to be comfortable here. He doesn't want us to, it's not ultimately about here. And this world is dangerous. He's going to tell us in chapter 2, verse 11. He's going to say, beloved, in a very pastoral term, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Aliens, the first word that we saw uh, right in First Peter 1. And now he's going to use even more emphasis is those who are sojourning, those who are aliens, those who are strangers to abstain from the fleshly lust which wage war against the soul. We are aliens. As aliens, we are in a place that is very hostile. It can't support life the way God has intended. Listen, if you're here and you're looking for life, if you're here and you're looking for meaning, if you're here and you're looking for joy, it can only be found in the face of Jesus. But even for those of us, by God's grace, who know Jesus as Savior, we still hurt. There's still pain. Because we are aliens here. We're living in a foreign world. One that wages war. Rages war on our very souls. I think the point that, that Paul, Peter wants to make with us is this. You know, we've got to have an alien mindset. We've got to live our lives. Are we living our lives saying this is all it, there is? Are we living our lives saying we've got, to, we've got to pad our homes, we've got to make them as comfortable as we can, that life is all about creature comforts here? Or is God calling us, and he is, through his word to say, no, no, you are an alien. You are just passing through. I've got a great mission for you. You're going to be a royal priesthood. You're going to be a, cho- a chosen nation. I have a job for you, but it's not getting comfy cozy here. You should be longing. Listen, there should be a calling home. There should be a calling home in our whole lives and our, our, everything we do should be longing, saying, God, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I want to go home because I'm an alien here. Not only that, he says that we are chosen. I mean, incredible juxtaposition from saying that you are an alien, yet that you, you who are chosen. Last week, I had the opportunity to go to Little League tryouts and uh, as we went to the Little League tryouts on Saturday, we watched all the kids. They gave us forums. They had all the kids' names on it in areas that we can check off how well they fielded the ball, how well they threw, and how well they ran. And, and we can and mark them on their, on their baseball abilities. And the next day, we gathered and we chose our Little League teams. Now, in, a, in the majors, you already have some kids who have already been drafted. They're on your team. You only have a certain amount of spots. But we chose kids. I mean, the coach was the one who, who looked over all those who were available. The coach was the one who says, and, and I was there, and said, I'm going to take that one. And I'll pick this one, and we're going to choose our, our team. Well, God tells us that there's a choosing that takes place, a draft, if you will, of, of God's family, a, a draft of those who are going to get it and those who aren't. Now, there's some real struggle here with this because... For many, they say, well, is it who's the one who's able to choose? All right, hit pause. First of all, Scripture is very clear that not everybody goes to heaven. Now, there are those who want to believe that. There are those who do believe that. There are those who will say, now, everybody that God ever created will go to heaven. They're called universalists. They'll say it doesn't matter if you believe in Muhammad. It doesn't matter if you believe in Buddha. It doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus. It doesn't matter if you don't believe in anything. Everybody's going to go. And everybody will be welcome. Well, 
according to Scripture, it's very clear that Jesus says, you know, no, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father except through me. Scripture is equally as clear that there'll be those who are there and those who are not. I mean, Scripture tells us that there'll be those that the Father will say, depart from me, I never knew you. There'll be those who'll be cast out into darkness and there'll be gnashing of teeth and, and there'll be those who don't get it. Now, Maybe we want to feel benevolent and say, you know, everybody is going to go. But the truth is, it's not true. And so if Scripture clearly shows that there's some who are chosen and some who are not, the next question we ask, have to ask is, so who chooses? And there's part of us that want to say, well, we want to choose. I mean, we should be able to choose. And we should be able to be the ones that, that pick and reach out to God. And we should be the ones who do it. And kind of like, maybe in Little League, the kids will say, we're the ones who should be able to choose. We should be able to pick our coaches. We should be able to pick our teams. But no, it's not how it works. I mean, because we're the coach, we have the authority. Because we are the coach, we have been given that right to choose. So we see that there is... Uh, not only a fact of distinction, but there's also the reality that there's one who chooses and one who doesn't. And we'll look a little bit at a little closer in a second. But how do we choose? I mean, how are we, our human nature, how are we uh, qualified and how do we go about choosing? Usually for us to choose anything, we look at brains and brawn, right? Um, we choose, whether it's choosing a spouse, maybe it's through their beauty, maybe it's through their personality, choosing our jobs. How do we choose? Well, we look at the characteristics, we look at the qualities, and then we make the best decision we can, usually having to do with brains or brawn or certain qualities that we're looking for. I mean, even in Little League. I mean, how do we choose? You know, a lot of it's families. I know that kid. Oh, they go to Orangewood. It'd be great to have that family close by. I mean, there's some people who obviously have another system, maybe win at all costs. But how, how do you choose? Well, you know, we will always choose according to our nature. This is important. We will always choose according to our nature. And we will always choose that which we believe will bring us most pleasure. Now, we will always choose according to our nature. Let's unpack that for a little bit because this is very important. Because God is always going to give us the ability, listen, to choose. We have the right to choose, okay? But we will choose only that which our nature will allow us to choose. And Scripture very, tells, very clearly tells us that apart from Christ, apart from our relationship with God, that we are naturally, our nature naturally as sinners, are those that are, are separated from God. We are nature, by nature, listen, children of wrath. We are by nature, apart from Christ, Sinners, And by nature, a sinner who is separated from God, whose nature is one of wrath and enmity of God, will never choose God. Never do it. He, never. You'll never choose beyond your nature. You don't have the ability to do it. But there's some really good news. Now listen, that doesn't mean that... You, that, that, that Because we are sinners, we can't do civic good. We can't help old ladies across the street. We can't pay our taxes. We can do those things. But those who are by nature sinners, listen, no longer have the ability to turn to a holy God and do good. 
We no longer have the ability to turn to God and say, God, I desire you. We are dead in our trespasses and sin according to Scripture. We will choose freely, but our nature doesn't have the ability to ever choose God. How are we going to choose? We're going to choose according to our nature. We're going to choose according to our privilege. Well, how does God choose? Now, let me tell you, there's a mystery. And if you're here today, you think, man, the pastor's going to tell me how God chooses. He's going to unlock all the mysteries of predestination, all the mysteries of God. I cannot do it. Why? Because Isaiah clearly tells us God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. I don't know why God does all that God does. Because God is God and I'm not. But I do know some things about why God chooses or how God chooses according to what's revealed in His Word. Now here's where we got to go. we got to go to His Word. we got to ask God why and how according to your Word. We cannot go outside of God's Word to make conclusions. Then we get on very thin ice. Well, how does God choose? We know it's a mystery, but we know this a few things. Listen, first of all, turn with me to Ephesians 1.4. We know that God chooses before time began. We know the part of God's choosing goes before the creation of the world. It happens before time began. That, that before God created anything in the mystery of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that God was pleased to draw some and choose some to Himself. Ephesians 1.4 Just as He, God the Father, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That we would be holy and blameless before Him. And by the way, this is in love. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. According to the kind intention of His will. But one thing we see very clear in this is that God chose. Don't know why He chose the way He did. But I do know this. He did it before time began. Scripture is very clear on that. We also know that God chose unconditionally. He chose not because of anything He saw in us, anything He knew that we had, anything that we would develop. Scripture is very clear that He chose us unconditionally. Look with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Incredible passage of Scripture here. Very difficult passage of Scripture here. We're going to be looking at verses... uh, 10 through 16, and we're looking at the question unconditionally is how God chose. Listen to what it says, and the story is talking about this God who's electing for himself a, a, a certain people, and he's going to use the story of Rebecca and her twins, and we're going to pick this up in verse 11. For though the twins were not yet born, okay, this is before they were born, and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to His choice, would stand. Not because of works, but because of Him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? There's no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. He's God. 
So then it does not depend, listen, it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but it depends on God who has mercy. You see, it's unconditional. There wasn't anything, and it had to be unconditional. Listen, because if there was anything, if there was anything that we all had that God would say, that's what I want. If there was anything in us, no matter how minuscule, no matter how small it was, that God would say, yes, because of this one thing, you have my favor, then it would be about us. It would be about our works. If there was even one small thing in all of eternity, he could look down time and say, that is what I want. That is what I'm looking for. Therefore, I will choose. It's no longer unconditional. And a chasm is ripped open. And now we can say, we have something that makes God love us. It all of a sudden becomes about us. It becomes about works. But listen, when this unfolds, this mystery unfolds, and this very difficult text comes to light, you know who can sing Amazing Grace? It's those of us who realize there's nothing. There's nothing here that God should naturally love or choose. Nothing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. He'd save a wretch like me. Complete wretch. Unconditional. We also know that God chooses a beautiful mosaic. And because God chooses a beautiful mosaic, we too as a church must be a mosaic. This is what I mean. Scripture tells us in the book of Revelation that He is going to call to Himself. Listen, He is going to call to Himself unconditionally. And He did this before time began. He's going to call to Himself people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and every people group. It's going to be beautiful. Heaven is going to be so colorful. It's going to include those whom He set an eternal love on from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And it's a hope and prayer of your pastors that this church reflects more and more of that reality. I love the fact that there, there, there's just a, a group that's coming, a group that's, that is joining and that is here that looks a little different than what we normally look like. And I say, please, God, more. Because I know that you love those from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. That's why it's so important for us to have helping hands with our neighbors in Eatonville. That's why it's so important for us to go down to Holden Heights. That's why it's so important for us to do mission trips. Because God has an electing, divine, eternal love on every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we as His priesthood are called to share that love with all. It's a beautiful mosaic. Galatians 3.28 will say it this way. There's neither Jew nor Greek in Christ. Listen, the distinctions are gone. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, it just, just knocked me over. It's reality this week of this. That if God's chosen people, you know the only mark of distinction that God wants on His people, the only mark of distinction is Jesus. That's the only thing he wants to say. That's mine. That's mine. That's mine. I see my son. I see my son. I see my son. I don't see Jew. I don't see Greek. I don't see slave. I don't see free. I don't see black. I don't see white. I see Jesus. And he and he alone is the distinguishing mark. He and he alone has separated us. He and he alone has made us worthy. He and he alone has bathed us in his blood. He and he alone is what makes us. His 
own. It's the only distinguishing mark. Listen, the only distinguishing mark is Jesus. And God will always choose, just like us, according to His nature and according to His pleasure. And I know this about God. I know He's a lot better and more benevolent than I am. And I know He's a good God. And I don't know all of His ways, but I know that He will do that according to His nature. Orangewood, why? We are called to be a priesthood to all nations. To take this good news to Eatonville, to Holden Heights, to Maitland, to Winter Park, Altamont, Castleberry, Oviedo, Apopka, Longwood, Lake Mary, everywhere as a priesthood of believers. But why, why do we choose? We looked a little bit of how, but why do we choose? You know, we choose because of return on investment, don't we? It's an ROI. I mean, why we choose whatever we choose, usually it's a return on investment. What can it do for us? I mean, even in Little League. What can it really do for our team? I mean, how do they fit? And what is it about us that we can benefit? We always choose with selfish interest. Not always bad. That's just how we are. It's our return on investment. Well, why does God choose? Look at 1 Peter 2, verse 9. Why does God choose the way he does? And he says this. But you... And we're going to get here, and, and, and Peter's going to unfold more what it means to be chosen. He says, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession. So that, why? So that you and I may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Why? So we can be living stones. Why? So that we can tell his story. Why? No matter who you are, listen, listen, it's such good news. God has called you to himself for a why. And the why is, yes, delight in him. The why, yes, you are chosen. But the why is so that you can proclaim, and so that I can proclaim through word and deed his excellencies, his worth, who he is. And he's going to choose to use broken vessels like us to do it. That's the why. In Orangewood, that's why I'm so passionate and so excited about all that we're doing in the community as his royal priesthood. All that we're doing in the world. It's all to proclaim not Orangewood and not ourselves. It's to proclaim Jesus. Because he and he alone is the only distinguishing mark. And listen, it's all by God's design. Look again in the beginning of verse 2. According, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. Here we see an incredible picture of the Trinity. Before time began, the God the Father, who's the one who always initiates with us, before time began, God the Father set an electing divine love on His own. And in the fullness of time, God the Son would come and the agreement, the covenant of redemption between the Father and the Son would be accomplished. And God the Son would come in the fullness of time. And He would come to rescue lost sheep. And you know, Jesus wouldn't lose one. Every single one. The Father before time said, That's, those are mine. Jesus came and He died for every single one of them. He rescued them all. And every single one, the Holy Spirit that the Father had given to the Son. And the Son had rescued. The Spirit comes and He gives life too. It's an incredible picture of God's design, the Trinity in action. And now he says we're this, we're scattered. We are scattered. 
It's God's design to call us in to send us out. I asked the early service, I said, do you know what a broadcaster is in your backyard? Do you know what a broadcaster is um, as a yard tool? And I had Ed Trotsky says, yes, I'm a broadcaster. I said, that's not the broadcaster I was looking for. And a broadcaster is something you dump fertilizer in to go in your backyard and walk up and down and to spread that fertilizer. You can adjust the holes and how fast the fertilizer comes through. It falls on this spinny thing. It's what it's actually called. And, and it sends out the fertilizer throughout. I mean, it sends it everywhere it sends it out. It sends it out to, to kill the bad and to cause the good to grow. And God's basically saying that I'm scattering you, Orangewood. I'm scattering you, body of Christ. I'm taking this fertilizer of ambassadors of Christ, those who are aliens, those who are chosen, and I'm going to tear you open. And yes, you're going to come together and worship. You're going to love being together. You want to build community. You want to get in a C2 group. But you know what the point is? I'm going to scatter you. Because there's fertilizer that needs to go in all these different places. Listen, you may be here and saying, God, why am I here? I don't like Central Florida. I don't like my job. I don't like my neighbor. I don't know what it is. But let me tell you, you're there by God's design. You are there. If you are his and you are, you are there by his design to be fertilizer. Sometimes I take that a little far. What does it mean that I'm fertilizer? But it's true. He sends us out. And that's why we have helping hands. That's why we do restore Orlando. He sends us out. But what do we need? We need grace and peace. You see, we need grace because this place hurts. We need grace because we're not home or we're aliens. We need grace because there's still broken pieces. And we need peace because there's a war still raging. In Colin's book, Good to Great, he says, first who, then what? We must first know who we are. Glorious in the Father's eyes in Christ. As aliens in this world. And yet chosen. And then as we know who, we'll know We'll know the what, what he is calling us to do, all for him, all for his glory, all so that his great name will be praised. We're going to come together. The worship team is going to come forward and we're going to, uh, we're going to sing, but we're also going to pray. And we're going to pray for the world because, listen, that's, God has saved us. He's called us to himself to be chosen people, to be uh, uh, people belonging to him. He's called us to be a royal priesthood. He's scattering us out to bring life and redemption to this world. And as priests, we don't have to sacrifice our own blood. He shed His blood for us. Now we pray. We shed light in the good news of Christ to all those around us. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank You for who we are in Christ Jesus. I know that we, on our own, are a people, a children of wrath. And on our own, we, we just don't belong to you. But because of this great love that you would have for us, that you would rescue us. And God, as we are yours, we are aliens. We belong to you, not to this world. And Father, because we belong to you and not in this world, and we're living for you, but in this world it hurts, there's pain, there's brokenness. And God, I just pray your spirit would come and remind us in, that we're not home yet and lead us home. And Father, I just thank you that uh, as, as your priesthood, we have the privilege of being scattered to tell the good news of Christ. God, do it powerfully through the ministry and the people of Orangewood. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.